this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And speaking of the union, Jay, this episode is brought to us by a union member, Adam Rogan. He uh, is not joining us, but he gave us an album pick and some notes to go with it, which is nice. I always like when our guests or our our selectors uh, do the research for us and I have less work to do uh in prepping for the show i can just focus on listening to the music and uh you know not worrying about wikipedia and google and those sorts of things want to remind folks i mentioned the top show dig me out dmo union dig me out uh union.com that's where you get to join us to pick records like this one that adam has selected and um it's an obscure one. How obscure is it? It's not on any streaming services. You can find it on YouTube. Um, Adam provided us with some MP3 rips from a CD he had. Um, so let me ask you, Jay. The pick is Flu 13 in the Foul Key of V, their second album. Uh, by chance, had you ever heard of Flu 13? No. And I even was having trouble believing the band was real. That name just doesn't <laughs> doesn't sound like a sounds like a, a band from a movie or something. Well, um, yeah, everything about the album cover is confusing to me. Um, it looks like so the album cover is a, I guess a time lapse photo of maybe a street. Yeah, um, which reminds me, it doesn't look like what we're going to talk. It looks like something like a trip hop album cover or something like something dark and mysterious. And uh, that's not what I was expecting. That's what I was expecting with this record. And it is not uh, what we got. Let's talk a little bit about this band. Cause honestly, for pretty much everybody listening, this can be the first time you've heard of flu 13 unless you're a big fan of the band diffuser. Okay. Which had a couple hits. Um, they were they this band flu 13 changed their name to diffuser after this record oh okay um well that's a they, better name yes when they, they <laughs> so this is the backstory um they were from long island and the original band was thomas costanza brian fawcett lawrence sullivan and billy Alamagaitis, Alamagaitis, something like that. Sorry, Billy. So they formed in 94. Uh, They do a seven-inch single with Steve Albini, which, you know, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. And they signed to a label in New York City called Interplanetary Truckers Union. (laughs) I I want to see their T-shirts. So then uh, after the seven-inch, which had two songs, on the label they released their first record called spin cycle that was uh produced by greg talenfeld who produced 
Pavement, John Spencer Blues Explosion, Beck. So they worked with two pretty good names just out of the gate. Yeah. And then for this record, after they did some touring, they go into the studio in 96. They call up Jay Robbins, who had been working with some artists like The Promise Ring, Texas is the Reason, Just to Brazil, besides his work with you know, being the lead singer and guitarist of Jawbox and producing those records. And he produces this record in the foul key of V. Again, they do some more touring. They actually toured with Cursive um, for part of this, along with uh, Jawbox, Braid, another Jaw uh, J. Robbins joint. Uh, yep. The Promise Ring is mentioned. Um, you know, they do the, the typical, you know, tours. Uh, with those bands playing clubs and VFW halls and that kind of thing. And uh, they actually, you know, they got on to CMJ charted them back in 97, but nothing came of it. So then they ended up signing to Hollywood records, changed their name to diffuser. And that's when they had a couple of, um, a couple of singles. So they had their single karma was, uh, peaked at number 20 on the Billboard mainstream chart as Diffuser, and it was included in the Mission Possible 2 soundtrack. Um, hmm. At that point, Sullivan and Alamagaitis left the band, replaced by Peter Shojan and Dan Leo on bass and drums. It's basically the rhythm section left. Um, they go tour. They ended up touring with like Simple Plan. Um, and uh, their second album as Diffuser, uh, the first album was released in 2001, Injury Loves Melody. And then the second album, Making the Grade, was released in July of 2003. Um, songs I Wonder and Get It On were used in the movie Freaky Friday. I believe that's the remake with um, Lindsay Lohan. And uh, they did some more touring, Hoobastank, All American Rejects. And uh, they got dropped, sadly. And then after getting dropped, they split up, or they, you know, they split up. Members went on to different things. Um, haven't really seen anything that they've done since then. But uh, their MySpace page still has stuff on it. If you want to go check that out from the <laughs> early two thousands, there's some animated gifs in the background. Yeah, basically. Hello, wizards. <laughs> uh, so they did um, release a third album in 2008 uh, on Chamberlain Records called Sincerely Wasting Away. I don't know if that was recorded new or if that was during the time from when they, you know, were broken up or whatever. Um, so uh, Costanza has played bass in some other bands. Um, Dan Leo played bands, played in some bands, one called Action Action. But uh, yeah, that's the uh, abbreviated history of Flu 13. Um, there is a bio of the band on the Long Island music scene.fandom.com page. They have a, this this did get reviewed in all music. Uh, Jack Rabbit actually reviewed it, so it must have been must have been reviewed for the big takeover, and then that was added to the uh, uh, the all music site. Maybe all yeah, all music might use their reviews. Yeah, 
he he gave us what he liked and what he didn't like. I will mention those as we're going along in the uh, podcast. There were a couple of comments on this. We'll get to the poll results at the end of the episode, but um, Ian McIver said, well, it's not my thing. I tried giving it a chance. It sounds exactly like late 90s album with a sound that has worn out its welcome and other bands have done better before. Decent single. I am not surprised that Ian didn't care for this. <laughs> uh, not that you're predictable, Ian, but I, I you know, I, I know give him taste. credit for, for giving it a try. The fact that you've listened to it. Hey, yes. there you go. This is, that's, that's what a, it's all about. Cause that's the spirit. You know, people listen to things and they're like, I would never have listened to this on my own, but because it was in a poll, I just discovered a cool new record. So let's do this. Let's talk about uh, In the Foul Key of V by Flu 13. Jay, tell me what you liked about this record. It's it's a pretty dynamic record. It's, uh, you know, working a lot with, you know, how do you combine tent? tension dissonance and melody uh, i think in you know some pretty successful ways uh there's aspects of it that feel almost technical uh, as you get into the record uh with the first track the way it kind of starts you know it's a little little complex there's a lot going on uh but then it kind of switches to these bursts of just pure on aggression some melodic courses that, you know, release and kind of open up. Um, there's some other things on here where things just simplify a bit more and it feels more like, um, say like a rival schools kind of vibe um, was, was what I was thinking of, where you can kind of hear that kind of beefy, hardcore, angular kind of thing underneath, but it's been kind of sanded off and you're getting a more, focused sound there's there's parts of the record that sound like that i hear in some of the choruses maybe a uh, sunny day real estate pop through every now and then here and there now, so there's there's a lot of cool elements at work here a lot of um i think interesting dynamics between what the drums are doing which I think in a lot of cases they're serving to not only carry the momentum of the song, but also um, to build tension uh, in the way that they either cut time or stop, or there's a lot of like snare rolls and like builds. There's some really cool fills that kind of, uh, I think create this sense of tension under a lot of the songs. And then you've got these dueling guitars over top of that that are playing with dissonance, melody, harmony. You know, at times they're playing riffs that only make sense when they play them together, which I think is interesting. Um, so, so I like the just the the use of the two guitars here. They they seem kind of equal, and um, you know, the song would be almost incomplete without both of them, which I think is good. There's not like a lot of playing the same thing. Um, so, and then, you know, again, with the choruses, you know, there are some solid, I think, choruses in terms, in terms of them being memorable or, you know, uh, paying off like an aggressive verse or contrasting the verse or being a little bit hooky. Uh, 
you know, vocally, there's a decent amount of range here from gruff whisper to full on scream to singing, you know, and it, that can kind of almost start and stop on a dime switching those around. So there's quite a bit going on there as well. Uh, so I, I think songs like my Beijing hot rod, a sweater for the cold war, graffiti on a ceramic iceberg and stale are good examples that I think encapsulate all those points that I think work. work for you well it's funny that this album came up this week because i was i don't know why but i was just jonesing for some like late 90s early 2000s sort of emo-ish mathy post-hardcore rock so i i made a a playlist to listen to in the car it's called tim rock (laughs) and these are the bands um shiner burning airlines no knife cave in um what else is on here uh some hum helmet uh girls against boys uh life and times uh Jawbox, at the drive-in mars volta minus the bear hot rod circuit cursive desparcitos pretty girls make graves hey mercedes so this was like just kind of fit perfectly with all of that sure. stuff um, I was I was just jonesing for that like the dissonant guitar, which man, this this just slots in really well with with all those bands. And the fact it was produced by Jay Robbins, you know, only is a little icing on the cake there. Uh, but this has a lot of those elements. I was hearing things that sounded like at the drive-in when you get these like dissonant two-note leads, like in my Beijing hot rod. Uh, and they're all over the place. There's, I mean, these songs move quick when it comes to change-ups. You mentioned the dynamics. There's all sorts of stops and starts and tempo shifts. And um, it uh, it has a, a nice energy that it, it is a, a, a post-hardcore. And then you mentioned Sunny Day Real Estate. So you get a little bit of that emo-ish um sound where when he's I'm, I'm, i think it's thomas costanza is the singer um his vocal can be shouty uh like cedric from at the drive-in and then he can kind of do the the jeremy enoch thing where he can really stretch out his vocal and make it a little uh you know a little more whispery and um they do a good job, I think, of, for the most part, keeping these songs pretty tight. This sound 
can get a little ear fatigue going if you if you listen to it too much. That's why I put it in a playlist because I only want to listen to it a couple songs at a time and I want to kind of be able to skip around and stuff like that if I'm not feeling a particular song at that moment. Um, and for the most part, I mean, these are a lot of quick tracks. There's two tracks that are long, which is uh, A Sweater for the Cold War, which is a very long sort of in, in introduction that's not musical. And then uh, Fourth Rail Telegram is 616 as well. But other than that, these are like four, four and a half minutes and under. A lot of them are in the two minute range, three minute range, which I greatly appreciate because I want, I want to fly through these songs. Um, there's a ton of energy, a ton of things happening. And um, I don't, I don't want to get it like, I don't want to get fatigued. So I appreciated that they, for the most part, kept this tight. Um, in terms of songs that worked, you mentioned like my Beijing hot rod. Um, I liked some of the, the last play, uh, song on the album, the ghost play, the ghost of the organ player um, at the, uh, at the, what's the end of the song title? It does. I it cut off on my MP3. The ghost at the of- hockey at the hockey coliseum at the hockey coliseum thanks uh adam mentioned it in his notes he had he said it has this the segue feel of a failure album yeah um and i agree i th- i think that that's a cool little element to this band is that there's a little atmospheric element to some of the stuff that's going on mentioned what he liked he said i really like their heavy heavy dissonant sound combined with the singer's sometimes melodic vocals i'm not sure if this is considered emo post-hardcore or something else their sound may not be for everyone but i think it rocks my favorite tracks are my beijing hot rod unknown to none and two dollar polka um which i would include I mentioned um, the first two ones that I like, but I also like $2 Polka. That kind of had a, that reminded me of like a Criteria start type song. Uh, it has that like driving halftime feel to part of that song, um, which I sort of, for some reason, associate with that first Criteria album and the the um, White Octave album, Menergy, yeah. that came out around that time as well. And those are like deep cuts in the emo post hardcore world um but i think that again i think this like slots in really nicely with those albums and those bands yeah um, it, bl- it blends all the genres together yeah that you mentioned i think in a it also i think in doing that to me it typifies 1998 
Mm-hmm. Like when I heard this, I was like, oh yeah, this is what I remember 98 sounding like. <laughs> so it's kind of fun in that way. Um, maybe they were, you were responding to that too. It's like, if you took all those bands from, from that time and mixed them together, they kind of net out to something like this. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, like 1998, a song like accessing the know-how, I mean, that could have been on relationship of command or, or via, or in casino out by at the drive-in. That is such an, and it's funny because, you know, I don't know these guys ever even heard at the drive-in. I mean, at the drive-in hadn't blown up at this point on a national scale. I mean, people knew them, you know, who were into the scene or whatever, but they're, this is a long Island band and they were from Texas. So Maybe they cross paths out on the touring circuit. There is an aspect of the guitar playing that is really cool in the same way that Omar plays guitar. There's these, there's a lot of weird notes that I don't know what the heck he's playing. Yeah. And it's very interesting. Um, but again, like that song, I don't think there is a moment in, it's, in that song that isn't dissonant. <laughs> there's yeah. so many bends and, and dissonant notes in that song. It's just, it's a lot. And it's only three and a half minutes, which sort of leads me into what didn't work. Um, yeah. This album's too dissonant, <laughs> even for me. <laughs> and I love dissonance, but man, yeah. I needed like a, I think that's why I like No Knife a lot, especially the Fire in the City autom- Automatons and Riot for Romance, those two albums. Um, they do the dissonant thing, uh-huh. but then they find really catchy yeah. spots. Um, so like I was again, we just I just mentioned that the playlist going back and listen to the first or not the first uh, the the fire on the city of automatons album by no knife. There's a song like Mission Control, which is got these dissonant weird parts, but then draws it back for the verses and it keeps the verses very slim, very tight. And you can kind of rest until the chorus when it, you know, gets big again. I just needed some breaths on this album. How about you? Uh, I'm with you. I would even go be more specific and say uh, the beginning of the the first half of the record to me balances those things fairly well. I feel like through track five, I'm getting a good balance of dissonance and harmony and things coming together and falling apart. And that tension is working. I think it starts to get like they the bound, the the scales tip and the dissonant side after track six. So track six sadder than severe mm-hmm. is a little bit of an experimental, like almost like a sketch of a song. 
And then to me, this record really takes a turn to start to be less song oriented and more like riffs, aggression, dissonance, noise. Like it's just, it's like a half shade off of where we were. It's not like a total departure, but it's just enough to where by the time I get to the end of the record, I'm just sort of lost in it. Like I'm not grabbing, Mm -hmm. there's not enough moments to grab onto. I felt like on my passive listens, that second half of the record, I was just fading. Like it was just really hard for me to grab on anything. Um, I think when I was you know, taking notes and actively listening, I could pull out little parts I liked, but a lot of it just kind of felt like endless riffs. Like, oh, that's a cool riff, but then there's another riff and then we go to another riff and then there's this part and there's just, you know, it's just almost just all dynamics and not, enough song craft on the second half that that's my my interpretation of what i was hearing and how i was reacting to it um and i think also just like hearing how the band can can't could balance it on the first half of the record and then just starting to depart that then i was always comparing it to those songs mm-hmm. you know to think like oh it could be like this but they didn't quite go there or that chorus could be a lot hookier than it is but they're you know kind of screaming or not even really delivering a chorus um right so so i would kind of break it down like that yeah i i don't love the sequencing of this record and actually adam brought that up um he doesn't like the sequencing he said unknown to none would be a great closing song the ghost of the organ player at the hockey coliseum sounds like a failure segue and should be placed in the middle of the album somewhere yeah it's weird at the end um a sweater for the cold war should be trimmed and placed later in the album I definitely think it should be trimmed. Um, And a song like Jerome does a dance in high fidelity. That's so dissonant. It's only 240, but it's an instrumental. Yep. And uh, I mean, Paige Hamilton would be like, you're doing a little too much dissonance there, buddy. (laughs) Calm it down. That song to me almost should be like a minute. Like you fade in, have this crazy thing and then fade out and just make it this like one minute long segue song or something like that, you know, to pair with the ghost of the organ player, because um, as a two minute and 40 second song, it's just so overwhelming. The amount of (laughs) I get it. And I, I, I like that stuff. I just need it balanced. And it, it just, loses its its effect when you've done yes. a theme. By the time you've heard it, you know, a thousand times on the record, you're like, okay, I, yeah, you're, we've spent any novelty that that has now been worn out. I, I, I think an instrumental 
I, I don't feel it's a great choice for this band. I just don't. It indulges in all of those things we just talked about too much because there doesn't need to be a song or a vocal. It's just kind of like mm-hmm. jamming on those bits and parts. And to me, it's there's some cool ideas in there, but it's I don't think it serves this album and this band very well. It's the kind of thing I would trim out and yeah, just try to clean it up. And I mean, if you want to have an eight minute song, that's I think a sweater for the Cold War. It, is a better example of like, if you're going to go all in on a big eight minute song, I think it, it at least stays interesting through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I would trim some of the other fat though, the instrumentals and change sequencing. And yeah. The way that that builds, it feels more like a closer to me yeah, and unknown to none. Great. Um, so that's part of my sequencing issue. Putting it as a third track is a yeah. very bold choice. <laughs> yeah. I'll just say yeah, that. No shit. No shit. Because you're like, we gave you these two very dynamic, interesting songs, and now we're going to slow it down a lot. Yeah. Um, so I probably, that's, that's really my issue. I think this album flows better if you just completely rearrange you know, a lot of the tracks, you know, move cold, a sweater for the cold word of the end, move the ghost of the organ player to the middle. You could probably just cut Jerome does a dance in high fidelity. Um, I make sadder than severe a hidden track after. I don't, I don't know that it adds anything. It doesn't, you mentioned about being kind of experimental, but like, I, I think if you're going to do something really bizarre with an acoustic guitar you almost want to go like in a poppy direction like a totally unexpected direction yeah uh, i'm not saying you have to write time of my life by green day here but just like <laughs> you know what i mean you just it just needs to be just give me some like melody to chew in to chew on yeah i would i, I would say it sounds more like a sketch to me like it sounds like one of their songs yes. it just sounds like they started writing it and then gave up yes <laughs> we're like i don't know this is an idea i don't know where to take it let's just put this on the record yeah because so much of what they're doing is really interesting and i said before it, it fits in so perfectly with a lot of stuff i've been listening to and and that era that it would be easy to say to someone oh you you're really into you know mineral and Jawbox and that stuff you should check out this flu 13 band even though the name is not great uh that the music would definitely fit in with that um but good luck finding it because it's not on streaming sir the best you're going to do is finding it on youtube which is not a great rip i don't think so you'll have to ask adam who provided us with the uh with the mp3s for this all that said even though this sounds like 1988 or excuse me 1998 97 98 there this is not a radio album no 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 and none, none of the bands that you mentioned for your playlist are radio albums, but are bands, no. but they all toured successfully. They had some of them sustained careers for a long time. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think this, I don't know what the band sounded like after this. I'm, I'm guessing based on who you told me they were touring with and stuff, it takes a little bit of a turn towards something maybe more melodic, but yeah, they, they definitely, I think it's described as heading in a more like Foo Fighters uh, direction. Like oh. which Foo Fighters in you know ninety eight to two thousand like that's 
yeah. you know, color and the shape and there's nothing left to lose in those albums. So, I mean, it's still rock, but it's a little, it's not quite as sawed off, you know, or sanded down as it is now. It still had a little bit of an edge back then. So also the, the height of this band is, you know, finding, finding a hardcore niche audience and, you know, making a couple of records, maybe touring for a while with it. Yeah. Totally would have expected to see this band on the touring circuit when we were like seeing shows at little brothers, Yeah, for you know, sure. opening for cursive opening for at the drive-in opening for whoever that would have totally made sense. Yeah. Um, Cause that's, that's definitely this, that sound. Let's get into all right. Is it a worthy album? a better EP or a decent single? Where do you land? I'm landing at an EP. I'm going to take tracks one through five. So basically the first side of the record and I'll throw in Romeo core uh, from the second side. It's got a little bit of that rival schools kind of vibe to it. Um, and that's my EP. I think the, with that, I, I, I get everything the band does. I think everything after that becomes a bit redundant. Like I've kind of already heard it and that can be fine. Like the, not every song has to reinvent itself, but they need to be great songs. And I think the rest of the stuff, there's some cool ideas there's some cool riffs. They're just not as compelling as songs as the ones I mentioned. Where did you land? Same. I, I like the first five. I would trim a, a sweater for the cold war a little bit. Um, I would add uh, Romeo Core and Two Dollar Polka, um, so that gives me seven songs uh, at about like thirty something minutes. So I think that's a really solid EP um, from that from this band. And you know, I think any any of the bands that I mentioned, if you're into them, you will definitely dig this band. There's a a lot of stuff happening that sounds familiar, but also they're doing their own thing which is nice to hear um, some of these, you know, riffs and leads and dynamics and things that they were doing are new. And in, in the sense that I had not heard, you know, that particular riff before. So it's always nice to, to have, find something that's a familiar sound, but like a slightly new take on it. It's not reinventing the wheel, it's just giving you uh, another yeah. spoke. If that's possible. Um, our patrons. Oh, what, you, what did you want to say? I was just going to say, and I think the last note on it was, it sounds great. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a J. Robbins produced record, so even though yes. it's dissonant, it's benefiting from you know really well engineered, clean production. Yep, absolutely. So, Another one to thank uh, Jay for. Um, I wonder yeah. if he remembers this because this is so <laughs> obscure. I kind of want to like. Post it on uh, on Facebook and be like, "Hey, do you remember working on this record, Jay?" <laughs> I'm sure you were busy, so yeah. you, you might have forgotten. Um, our patrons over at uh, Patreon, they went 50% worthy album, 25% better EP, 25% decent single. So, we're the album from our patrons. I guess the uh, the the dissonance won in their yeah. mind. Which is cool. That's uh, you know, it's not far off in terms of uh, a vote here and there can swing it to a to a, a split between where the album and better EP. But uh, yeah, it's familiar. I, I think it's familiar territory for a lot of different 
listening taste from the 90s. Like if you're yes. in the 90s rock, especially in late 90s rock, this band is probably touching on an aspect of it that you liked. Absolutely. Unless you're Ian. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah, if if this isn't your thing, it's not going to make sense to you now if it didn't then. Yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, that's just that's just the reality on it. But if it was, boom, roasted. No, boom, you're going to like this. Um, well, we need to thank Adam. Yeah. For suggesting this record digging out a this is truly a, a dig me out uh, right. uh a dig a well dug <laughs> from from well beneath the earth with a he was there with a little brush dusting off the uh the remnants <laughs> and jay do you want to know something crazy that i learned what's that you know when we talk about dinosaur bones uh, you know, people when we, them up. you we, and I, we, when, when we, well, yes, when, no, when, when the, we, the Royal, we, the, all of us, oh, okay. Okay. You know, bones disintegrate. Yeah. So when we dig up dinosaur bones, they're not actually the bones. It's right. what's filled in the spot where they disintegrated. I didn't realize that until I was 49 years old. <laughs> well, they're fossilized. So they're, changed what they are yeah they're not the bones like the bone yeah. isn't they become something else what do they become jay <laughs> well they're still kind of what they were but are they or is this a ship of thesis situation here a what a ship of thesis do you know what the ship of thesis was no i only know this because of uh WandaVision. so the the the, the theory is and you can apply I, I actually had a conversation about this last weekend applying it to bands okay. the ship of thesis is like so you have a wooden ship right mm -hmm. and you start to replace pieces as the wood rots right and eventually you replace every single piece of wood on that ship is it still the same ship you started with because not right. a single piece exists i was mentioning that because we were talking about bands that don't have right. any original members in them That's but are still touring because like the third guitar player is left from when they you know from 20 years into the band is that really still the band if there's not a single original member left That's yeah i struggle with that yeah like oh yeah that guy played bongos on the fourth album and he's the only guy left <laughs> From the from the line any lineup, uh, everybody's just a hired gun at this point, just playing. Basically, it's a tribute band with uh, one guy who knows the songs really well, <laughs> or may have written. Yeah, a few. I think uh, Foreigners basically at that at that point. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's a lot of groups like a lot of like oldies groups. Like I think the Temptations are still touring, but there's like nobody from the Temptations still in the band. Yeah. It's like guys who replaced guys in the 80s are, are now the guys who have been in the band for 40 years. <laughs> oh, God. Oh. It's like, wait a minute. You're the Temptations. How is there a 25-year-old guy in the Temptations? That's not that's not possible. <laughs> and you know what's going to happen? It's going to happen with all of our, our musical acts. I know. Like, eventually, you know, Allison Chains will be down to, uh, like, they'll bring back Mike Starr or something. And I think he's else. dead. Oh, is he dead? I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> They're bringing Mike Starr's son. There you go. There you go. Like, why don't, why isn't Jason Bonham start Led Zeppelin? 
Like, why not? Just- well, yeah, he's got to wait for True. the rest of them to die. Then maybe he can. <laughs> True. But not probably everybody's just- foreigner is Actually, dead. I don't think Robert Plant would probably care. I think Jimmy Page is the only one that would care. <laughs> what has Jimmy Page done? I know we're a way off topic here, but I was thinking about this the other day. I mean, it, he had an insane run. Yeah, it is weird. He's been so quiet that he hasn't been inspired to do something. He stayed pretty active up Even until the, that Black Rose thing. That was kind of the last thing he did, right? Yeah, like because the in the eighties he did stuff. He had his, his solo albums. He was with what was the band called, The Firm? Yeah, that he played in. Then they got back together and did um, the Plant Page tour. They did a did, whole record. Then he you did mentioned the Coverdale Black Page Rose. thing. Yeah, Coverdale Page, and then like once the two thousands hit, he was just like, I'm gone. I'm done. Yeah, like, he just you, focused on like Led Zeppelin remixes and remasters. I guess, but doesn't he? I mean, does he ever pick up the guitar anymore? Like, I'm just curious. Like, are there? Is this like a print situation? Like, when he passes away, there's going to be like a million songs <laughs> that we didn't. I know don't know. About? I know. I mean, they spent a lot of time trying to do the reunion. Remember when they were auditioning other singers? This would have been like 2007, eight. Right. They did that celebration concert and then they tried to get robert plant to do a tour and he wouldn't do it so then they were gonna find another singer who are you gonna find seriously apparently the, the audition steven tyler and oh my god uh what's his name from uh the mayfield four? Oh, that oh yeah the guy um in alter bridge miles kennedy and miles kennedy is that the guy who also yep. sings with like slash mm-hmm yeah, but there were a couple other big names. Sammy Hagar, I think, at one point was oh either master auditioned. At that point, just have like <laughs> ten people and just rotate singers by song. Right, like, just do it's like a trick. Like, yeah, do like the songs of Led Zeppelin, and then do a tour and just have like, yeah, a bunch of singers come out and sing. I mean, at this point, Jimmy Page should just join Greta Van Fleet and be like, <laughs> "Hey, guys." <laughs> I got, I got a been. few million riffs I haven't used. Do you want to try them out? <laughs> They've just I'm just collecting them on tapes. I'm guessing uh, they must have been. I, I'd have to look at the timeline, but I'm wondering if they were inspired by uh, Queen. Now they re got another run out of Adam Lambert being in the band. Well, and they had Paul Rogers too, right? He was thinking he was going to do that. Yeah, Paul Rogers too. If you maybe they were thinking they were going to do something like that. I I bet they yeah. I don't, I don't even know that John Paul Jones cares that I don't know what he does also, other than he just did that. He, not just, but he did that thing with uh, Josh Omi and, yeah, um, you know, 20 or 15 years ago, the Them Crooked Vultures album. Anyway, well, way off topic. Hope you all enjoyed our, our non, our, uh, our, our tangents here. Um, it's football season. So this is uh, how I avoid talking about the bills. Um <laughs> that was rough man i'll say this i i said like two years ago that i don't think josh allen is a big game quarterback i think yep. he folds and he or he, he presses i think what he 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 starts out with a plan and then he starts pressing when things don't go well mm-hmm. and the best that i can hope for him is that as he matures he has sort of an elway end to his career and like finally gets it figured out so that we can make an actual championship run. But I, I don't know. There's just, there's just something missing with him. 
because there's no reason to throw three interceptions in that game. That was just yep. awful. Or a Roethlisberger type thing where it's just like there's so much talent around him that he just runs around and check bombs and gets passing of interference penalties. And right. <laughs> it's just like creates chaos and stuff happens and things fall into place, but there's enough talent around them that it all works out. I mean, Jesus Christ, the, the Bengals or the, or the, the Ravens won the Super Bowl with Trent Dilfer. You're telling me, ago. but they had an, but it was because of their defense. Yeah. So, and I, this defense is good. I mean, it's not a bad defense. They have a, a really strong front line, but not having Von Miller in is just, it's just, it's, it's everything's been a little softer since he went out. They were, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's why am I surprised? This is my, this is the last <laughs> years. Uh, well, so. make some room. The Browns will take your, take their spot. You know, that's my backup. I always, I do root for the Browns, you know, there since you I've go. lived in Ohio longer than I've lived in New York at this point. Um, so we need somebody, we need somebody to take a step back. The Browns, if the Browns are going to move forward, somebody's got to get out of the way. Well, so. I hope I think it's the Bengals. I think that offensive line is suspect, and I don't think that they've got. Uh, I don't think they got it in them. I think they 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 will we'll see. But the, the the Browns are definitely their kryptonite. I don't. Yeah, was it I nine out of eleven games they've beaten them now? Yeah, I don't remember in the last whatever twenty years of Browns history being this dominant over a single team. It's kind yeah, of crazy. It's, wild. it's it's like how we felt against the Sealers, like just <laughs> getting walloped and embarrassed every year, twice a year. And now you got the Steelers this week, right? Yeah, Monday night. Yep, yep. Yep, yep. Well, that's the end of football talk with Jay and Tim. Uh, <laughs> let's wrap this up and remind You've you. You've hung out this long. Yeah. Uh, that reminds you that uh, you can go to dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com to join the union. You can watch the video of this uh, episode at the Patreon. It's also where you vote in the polls, like for this episode. It's also where you vote in the polls for our monthly tournaments, where albums suggested at digmeoutpodcast.com make their way into our monthly polls, where uh, like a I don't know, like a two dozen or so. I don't know. What is it? Nine and nine is 18. Nice. You got it. I didn't even have to use my fingers. Uh, 18 albums, uh, two, two weeks of voting. And that, that pairs down to a single uh, four album final and uh, a single four album final. That doesn't make sense. Four albums and then one. So we go to 18, four, one. That's it. You can vote at Patreon. You can suggest at digmeoutpodcast.com. You can also utilize the website to sign up for the box newsletter, uh, which you can read at Patreon. Uh, every week, new releases of 80s, 90s, and aughts music, movies, books, TV shows, and two reviews of new releases. And then finally, Apple Podcasts is where you go to leave some positive feedback for the show. So for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out.